This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, the Matildas and New Zealand football ferns kick off their Women's World Cup campaigns on a high and not without Pacific influence. Also, uncertainty for Pacific Commonwealth Games athletes who no longer know where they'll be competing in 2026. Like I was looking forward to have it at the CT ground as I have a lot of friends and it's closer to home where I could bring my parents over and and the Tongatala pack their bags for Cape Town ahead of the Netball World Cup. Mentally, I'm ready. I think we've had a year to prepare for it since we've qualified in Fiji. So, yeah, mentally prepared for it. All that and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans. Thanks for joining me. But first, preparations for this year's Rugby World Cup in South Africa will kick up a notch this weekend when four Pacific teams square off for the 2023 Pacific Nations Cup. Japan will host Manu Samoa in Japan, while Tonga will face Fiji in Lautoka. The games will mark the first major hit out for Manu Samoa and Fiji ahead of the World Cup. Meanwhile, the Akali Tahi will be looking for their second win in as many weeks after defeating Australia A in Tonga last weekend. Tongan fullback and former Bristol Bears star Charles Patel was instrumental in that match and he told Aki Tupo it was an experience he'll never forget. Going out, getting to the, on the bus, on the way to the stadium, having their police escort, just seeing the red flags, people all dressed in red, getting to the stadium. I think the gates opened at 11 and I believe a lot of people were already there early to get their seats, but just to be playing and uh, Dale Fiver, I think the last time it had been 2019 since the Ikale had been in Tonga and could just see the joy on the people's faces and I think the team really fed off their energy. The game and the start, especially that first half, really got on the roll there and I think at the end that, that won us the game. You've played while having your wife and kids there. I mean, what's it about having to have your family there uh, and even just playing for the nation of Tonga? You know, have, uh, family means a lot to me and and I know to Tongan people as well as a massive pillar. And I think just to, to see my kids and to know my parents are in the stands watching just gave me that extra bit of energy and just wanted to give my best out there for them, representing them. Mm. Charles, now that the first game is done, uh, what does the prep or training look like for your upcoming game uh, against the Flying Fijians? I mean, are you sort of familiar with how they play? Yeah, I guess, you know, they're very talented players and they have a lot of power and speed. So for us, uh, physicality side of it is, is a massive battle. I think there's guys in the team have been quite experienced. So I've played with the likes of uh, Semi Rajaja, so I know how great of a player he is. But I think the team's preparing well. We are focusing on ourselves and what we can do. And hopefully that puts us uh, our best foot forward. Uh, it's definitely been a journey, of course, for yourself. Former All Black, you've had your international stints there in Europe and, of course, Asia. What's made you choose to really come home and represent Donga? I guess for me, the chance to be able to play for the country, uh, knowing that you know my blood uh, line is my heritage, my roots, being able to to give back. So those two reasons were, were the main reasons in, in me deciding. And you know it was a, a long path and long road to to get here. It's definitely been worth it. And and being in Tonga now and Having played that, this game, Del Fiver, in front of the Tongan people, it's just an awesome experience. Do you believe the state, though, of the game in Tonga has grown? Or if not, I mean, how can it be improved? 
I have heard that um, the game can be improved. I guess for ourselves, just trying to inspire the next generation that they'll still one day kids will be running around wanting to become a Kalatahi player one day uh, and want to put on their red jersey. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what would you say to a kid wanting to break into professional rugby and maybe even choosing to play for their homeland? Becoming a professional sports person is very tough, but I think what's helped me is, you know, having a family that, you know, always go for support, my faith in God and the belief that, you know, has given me these talents to be able to play the game and the path isn't always smooth, but when you come against obstacles, is you know never giving up and always trying to find a way and push through. You know, what is it that maybe the powers that be have to do to sort of change or see more of our Pacific nations participating at like a higher level? Well, I think being able to have more games between the Tier 1 and Tier 2 nations because you see in the likes of Japan or Argentina that have been able to, to join a, a rugby championship competition and constantly playing against the best teams like New Zealand, South Africa and Australia and how that rubs off onto to their players and them as a country and, and they improve a lot. And so the, those games can happen a lot more often than, than what it is now. And at the same time, I think the eligibility rules in terms of a three-year stand-down is, is a start. Moving forward, that time frame can become even shorter, even more so for guys that have just been capped once or twice and, and have become stuck just maybe, you know, off that one game. Uh, what's the reunion been like between all of you? Yeah, it's been awesome to connect with these guys and reconnect with old faces, guys that are maybe gone high school with, like some Malakai and Augustine Pu'u, and then even guys I've you know played in, in lower grades with. Uh, the amazing thing of rugby is, you know, we're taking us around the world, but then now bring back our experiences together and, and just enjoy each other's company. Tongan fullback Charles Patau speaking there to Abby Tupo. And as we just heard, the flying Fijians will probably have their hands full trying to contain, trying to contain him and a slew of other big-name players in that Ikali Tahi squad. And to take us through how those preparations are shaping up is the head of news and sport at the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, Indra Singh, who joins us on the line from Suva. Indra, welcome back to the program. Blabinaka, morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm well, Indra. I'm well. Now, I'm going to take you through some of those names again because they are some big ones. Charles Patau, Israeli Falau, uh, Malachi Fekiyoda are just some of those names who have been uh, lining up for Tonga recently. How big of a test is uh, is this going to be for Fiji? Well, um, when the squads were named yesterday, I think we were looking at the flying Fijians against Wallabies slash All Blacks, former internationals. Mm. Those Tongan those Tongan boys are some big-name players and what an excitement to see them back in that red jumper and playing for their beloved country, uh, Tonga. And it, it, this is going to be massive. You know, you mentioned the big names that side, and they come up against the big names like the Tuisova and Chutawain Ngolo and Levani Botia and Frank Lomani. This is a making of a great match tomorrow afternoon in, in uh, Fiji. Absolutely. Um, four debutants will make their debuts for Fiji as well, I read. And as of this week, there were something like as many as 39 players who were vying for selection. What do you make of the, uh, of the final 15 that Simon Rewa-Louis has landed on? Well, Coach Simon, he has all the experience. He's, he's played for Fiji. You know, he's been part of the Wallabies setup. He's coached in France. And as he said yesterday, this is the first team, not the best team. So this is the first 15 that he's rolling out for the first uh, pre, uh, pre-World pre Cup match. Uh, we've got a couple more to go before uh, 
the first game at the Rugby World Cup. And of course, for debutants, no doubt, Caleb Munz, the number 10 jumper, will be the one that everyone will keep their eyes on. He's relegated Ben Volovolo for this one to the bench. And watch out for the guy, Celestino Ravuta Umanda. What a story he is. He grew up, you know, he grew up looking up to the likes of Semi Randrandra and the likes. And uh, he was in the Drua. He was basically a nobody about two seasons ago. He came into the Drua worked so hard and now he's starting in the number 11 jumper tomorrow apparently the fijian trainer another other one in buka the other day in media interviews has said that this guy is faster than carlin isles who's the seventh superstar for the u.s side <laughs> so that's an interesting one to uh, watch out for lekima tangi tangi valu of course from uh, the france and also on the bench the waru veta some big names but again this is, as I said, this is this is a great team name, but this is not the final team. But if this is the, this is just a test uh, for Simon Revolui. Imagine the headache he will have to select his best 15 for that opening World Cup match because all these players are superstars in their own right. Yeah, I want to talk about Simon in just a second. Just quickly on uh, on Caleb Munts, that that name really stuck out to me as well. He'll be playing uh, playing at fly half ahead of uh, Vola Vola. Do you reckon this is a you know a p- potentially a chance for him to grab those car keys going forward? Oh, definitely. You know, I've watched him uh, during the Drua. You know, injury did keep him out for uh, some time, but he, ever since he came into the setup, he's he's got a good boot on him. He's got a tactical play going. And to be guided by the experience of Ben uh, from the bench and to have uh, Sermayam Bai, who's the former Flying Fijians, first 5'8", guiding him. This is a great chance for Caleb to prove his worth. Uh, because mind you, the number 10 is going to be wary. There's another Fijian under-20 player who's knocking on the door for the future. But at the moment, Caleb Munz looks like a good shot uh, for that uh, 10 jumper. Oh, well, it's a, good, it's a good problem to have. Competition does breed success. Now, speaking of uh, Simon Rewa-Louis, this will be his first game as coach since taking over in fe- back in February. How much of a spotlight do you think is, uh, is going to be, uh, be on him? And, and are fans willing to be patient if, if, in fact, there are some growing pains? You hit the nail on the head, I think. Do the fans have patience? You know, this is his first outing as a senior coach uh, for the Flying Fijians. Uh, and they have Fiji rugby has not been in a good state. You know, the players are unhappy. They Fiji rugby and quickly had to step in and sort out the the allowances issues after the women. It was the senior side, the Flying Fijians men's team. That's been sorted. The players are supposedly now happy with the allowance factor and they are ready to play for the uh, Fiji side. Simon Reo Louis got his hands full. The Drua boys have performed up to par. But how do how does Simon bring the flair and the phenomenal Drua players to combine with the overseas base players to form a team that will play as one? Now he'll have some headaches going forward. The good part is that he's got games against the likes of Samoa and France and England before the World Cup, but it's only a month and a half away from mm. the World Cup. They, they 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 need to get the combinations going. They've got Australia and Wales in their pool. You know, even though Australia hasn't played well in the rugby championships recently, you can't count them out. But it's the Fijian flair. Does he retain the Fijian flair and let the players do their thing? Or does he go for a more structured approach? 
all those things will be looked at very closely uh, by by a lot of people when the first test gets underway tomorrow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you're right, I can't believe how fast that World Cup is creeping up on us. You're listening to the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans and I'm chatting with the Head of News and Sport at the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation, Indra Singh. We're talking all about the Pacific Nations Cup, which gets underway this weekend. But I want to sidestep now, Indra, and chat about uh, Rugby League. The uh, the Kaibiti Silk Tails. Obviously, the Flying Fijians have soaked up most of the headlines this week, but uh, they've got a big game of their own against the uh, Wentworthville Magpies in Nandi in the Ron Massey Cup. Uh, have you been following them at all this season? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think I think the Kaibiti Silk Tails, I'll be very blunt here, has, have not got the attention they deserve. They have been massive. You know, it's the, First season, they got disrupted by COVID, etc. They have come back and they have, they have this year, this year, they played some good, real good footy. And just looking at the results uh, that they have put in and they, they, they've put in some solid results mm. and they've got some good wins. And I think this is starting to lay the platform for the future of rugby league in this country. We've already seen the stars like Api Corisal playing for the New South Wales side, unfortunately got injured and couldn't feature in the origin, a latter part of the origin. But you know, you've, you've you've got you've got some big names, but but for the Kaiviti Silk Tails to help develop those talents that are around, that could really you know make make, make rugby league right go up there and compete for the world title. If Tonga etc. bringing all their players back, Kaviti Silk Tails combined with our NRL boys, that's absolutely phenomenal. I, I managed to watch one of their games uh, some time back, and you know what. There's a lot of passion and pride in these players. They mm. they they put their bodies on the line. Yes, they might not be as good as the top tier NRL boys as yet. Boy, I tell you, give them time, and these Kaviti Silk Tails will be really rattling some of the best teams in the comp. Well, they've rattled some of them at home this season. They're virtually uh, virtually unbeaten. They've been really really good in Fiji. They're currently fifth on the ladder, and if they if they get up this weekend uh, at home, I think they'll that'll go a long way to cementing a, a final spot for them. Do you think if they can make finals, that'll really sort of lift some support um, on the ground? Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think it also there there needs to be much more done by perhaps media and everyone involved. I think they have. At times, they've got more coverage abroad than they have locally, mm. uh, and 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 I think people haven't realised that the Silters are playing top level footy. It's not just their ordinary club footy; they they're playing at, at at pretty high level, and they're playing against some of the big stars who are on the verge of you know getting those big contracts in those NRL clubs. So so I think it's it needs to be a collective approach, you know. I love I love their vision. It is to represent their village, their province, their country, playing the game they love, and best of all, playing it well. Well, you know what? They're playing it well. We just need to get behind them fully. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Indra, I want to now end uh, on some soccer. I know you're a big uh, big soccer fan, and obviously the FIFA Women's World Cup kicked off last night with two really big matches. I think we've got to start with New Zealand. Um, first win ever, I believe, in the World Cup in 32 years of them participating. How how amazing was that? What a performance. I think I think everybody in Oceania was or is absolutely proud of those New Zealand football fans, what they did last night to beat a former world champion in front of 43,000 biggest football crowd in New Zealand mm. for men or women. That is phenomenal. And, and you know what? This is going to help in taking women's football. I'm, I'm passionate about women's football in the sense that I see 
what the capabilities are in the Pacific, uh, what uh, what the likes of New Zealand can do on the world stage to inspire our kids, our girls who are coming up in the islands, and what a performance, you know, and to have to have a, a Samoan kid play in that team, to have a Fijian, part Fijian uh, player in that squad, uh, it, just just great to see and what 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 an inspiration what a story i think the world cup opening could even be the best story of the world cup yeah no i, th- I think you're right i, I was uh, i was on my edge of the, the edge of my seat uh, for that game and and just i just felt every play i've got to say like you know Han- hannah wilkinson's goal when ria percival you know <laughs> missed that penalty shot you know that which would have been the seal you know i i started to fear the worst but to see them hold on was was so good you mentioned uh, some of those pacific connections as well yeah uh, grace jale i read uh, was actually is the first part fijian born player to ever play um in the world cup how good's that Oh, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, Grace Charlie, she, she she didn't come on last night, but I tell you one thing, that she is an inspiration for Fijian women uh, to go to the next level. Our rugby girls have done it. You know, what a year for women's sport. What, what mm-hmm. are two years that we've had for women's sports in this part of the world, Carl? And it's just sometimes it takes a lot of just sitting back and taking it in. I rate women's sport. You know, if if they're given the proper proper guidance and support, as Australia and New Zealand are now starting to do, and in the islands, if we do that, you know, very soon we'll we'll have some real big names taking off around the world. Already we've been doing it in rugby, Grace Charlie and Steinmetz, etc. And of course, you know, within within the uh, Matildas, there's a Papua New Guinea. Uh, heritage uh, player playing so uh, absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely, Mary Fowler. And just quickly on the on the Matildas uh, before we go, Indra, I was a little bit worried uh, watching them last night. What, what did you make of them? Yeah, they, had, they they didn't start very well, did they? I mean, they, but it was it was the Irish. You know, the Irish will mm. never let you get away easy in any sport that they play. <laughs> but they got that one nil win. I think it was eighty four thousand uh, at the uh, Stadium Australia, I believe it was. Mm. You know, what a crowd! I Huge. mean, we. You just got to sit down and think. 43,000 in Auckland, 80,000 in Sydney. You had almost 120,000 people in person in the two games. Oh, what else do you need to get this World Cup going? I mean, bring more World Cups to our part of the world. We can do it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And in some ways, yeah, that, that is that is the biggest story, you know, just, just the engagement behind this. It's, it's fantastic to see. Uh, Indra, that's all we've got time for today, but uh, awesome insight uh, as usual. And, uh, and go Fiji this weekend. Yeah, most definitely. You know, Fiji, Tonga, there'll be one winner, but I tell you, it's a great build-up for both the nations. Seal Tales, of course, and uh, go Matildas and football fans. <laughs> absolutely. Indra, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Indra Singh, Head of News and Sport at the Fiji Broadcasting Corporation. It's Friday, July 21, and you're listening to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I hope you're looking forward to a, a huge sporting weekend. God knows there is a, a lot to watch at the moment, and we'll we'll try to touch on all of it as we move through the show today. We'll recap all the action from that Matilda's World Cup opener against Ireland. We'll also hear from Fiji and Australian weightlifter Eileen Thicamatana's thoughts around the 2026 Commonwealth Games debacle, which will no longer take place in Victoria. Plus, we chat with Tonga Tala captain Hulita Vebe. Hold the front page! 
It's that time of the morning where we take a look at what's making headlines around the region. The region, and joining me to do that in the studio is Pacific Beat producer Evan Wasuka. Good morning, Evan. Good morning, Kyle. Let's start in Fiji, Evan, where the military have uh, come out come out to quash speculation that a military coup might be looming. That's right, Kyle. So the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation, FBC, it's reporting that Major General Rod Chone Kaloniwai has rejected speculation that Fiji's military could be planning a coup. Now, he's come out publicly in response to mounting rumors that have been swirling all over social media in recent months. Uh, and all these rumors came about after a number of documents were leaked online. Now, these documents, they allege that the current government of Sitivani Rambuka had misinterpreted the constitution, and these documents called for the military to intervene. But uh, Major General uh, Kaloniwai, uh, he's come out saying that the Fiji military would continue to respect law and order and continue to uh, 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 continue in what they've been doing all along. He says that uh, Fiji's coup culture is something that needs to be forgotten and that the country needs to move forward. Uh, He told this to the FBC, and he said that this is an issue that not only affects the military, but it affects the whole government uh, as a whole and the community. Uh, And still in Fiji politics, uh, PM, Prime Minister Sitivani Rambuka, he's also come out to dismiss claims that there's uh, political instability within the government ranks and that things are continuing and it's business as usual. Uh, so these, uh, there's been lots of political talk in, in recent uh, months about uh, the situation in Fiji, but uh, uh, the head of the Fiji military is trying to uh, has come out and he's uh, uh, saying that everything is stable. And Kyle, just coming back to those documents, police say that investigations are still continuing uh, in order to identify the author of these uh, documents. Yeah, well, it, it's good they've come out and uh, and. and Give it, giving us some clarity around that. I think that word, that, that coup word, it does, uh, it makes us all nervous. That's, that's for sure. Um, let's move on. Let's go to, to Nauru, where a public holiday has, uh, has been declared, uh, and residents evacuated because of a large, unexploded World War II bomb. Uh, that's right, Kyle. It was a tense day yesterday, which was a public holiday as part of this operation to, uh, disarm these World War II, uh, uh remnants, uh, these bombs. Uh, so yesterday, the Australian Defence Force and Nauru Police were working hard to uh, disarm this bomb. It was initially uncovered by construction workers earlier in the month, and Nauru government brought in the Australian Defence Force to help uh, defuse it. Uh, thankfully, it all worked out quite well, but uh, to get to that stage, a public holiday had to be declared, and the area had to be uh, evacuated and uh, to allow the bomb experts to work on it. Um, as you can imagine, there's plenty of relieved people in the community mm. after that operation was successfully completed uh, yesterday. Uh, let's hear from Nauru's police chief, Ivan Note, uh, talking after the bomb was successfully disarmed. For us, for our community and our people, once the device was uh, uh, conveyed to the proper safe area, uh, far away from the community. The bomb now is relocated to a different area at the top site where it is identified to be a proper and safe area away from the community. So that's Ivan Note, Nauru's police commissioner, and he was speaking to Pacific Beat yesterday, just after that bomb had been uh, disarmed. Yeah, all, all's well that ends well, and thankfully uh, that, that, that bomb was disarmed safely and, and nobody was hurt, and, and I guess to cap things off, everyone everyone got a, got a day off work and a day off school, didn't they? Reminds me, I've actually got a day off school once because my bird, uh, sorry, my uh, school got infected with bird lice. That's a separate story, but I think we're all 
you know, a little bit happy about that. Um, and just uh, just lastly, Evan, to wrap up, news wrap, Solomon Airlines has obtained a second Airbus jet. That's right, Kyle, and that was announced just overnight that uh, Solomon Islands National uh, Carrier is, is acquiring a second Airbus jet. Solomon's Business Magazine is reporting that the airline's chairman, Frank Wickham, uh, said, says it's been a slow road to recovery following the pandemic, but the airline has been seeing growing demand and is now expanding its service. And uh, to top this off is the acquisition of a second jet, which is expected to be leased next week. So um, that's about it for News Wrap for this morning, Kyle. Evan Wazuka, thank you very much for joining me. All good. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music. From across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Well, the Matildas have kick-started their Women's World Cup campaign with a nail-biting 1-0 win over the Republic of Ireland. More than 80,000 people turned up to the sellout, sellout game in Sydney as fans celebrated the start of the tournament. Mary Fowler, who boasts PNG heritage, was among the best for Australia. Matt Bamford filed this report. Outside Stadium Australia, celebrations were underway hours before kickoff. Some 83,000 football fans flooded into Olympic Park to watch the Matildas kick off their campaign. Oh, it's it's great! Like I'm so like yeah, there's so many people. It's so good. It's so good to see that they have so many supporters. Hopefully, it like cheers them on. For Olivia Cope from Castle Hill, it was a chance to watch her favourite players perform on the world stage. It's really showing that young people can like play and achieve high and can achieve high. Described as the biggest Women's World Cup yet, the sellout crowd didn't phase fans like nine-year-old Finn Coleman. Well, I was not surprised actually because, well, there was so many, like, people and it's just, like, really cool and amazing to see everyone here. Who are you going for tonight? Well, I'm going for both because actually, well, my dad's Irish and my mum's Australian, so I'm going for both. And it's the same thing with my friend Harriet. Uh, Dad might cry if I was not going to win, but yeah. For older supporters like Ashley Gore, it's long overdue recognition for the women's game. It's unreal. I wish it was around when I was a kid. Like, I'm, yeah, mid-30s now, but when I was a teenager, nothing like this was happening. Um... Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's great. What do you hope kind of comes out of this, this whole event? Just more recognition, more recognition, um, better pay, yeah, all of that. And just to keep watching girls, yeah, grow up and keep playing soccer and be up there with the boys. Inside the stadium, the contest was fierce, but there were few early chances. Deliver to a teammate here, flicks it forward and towards Vine. And with Matilda's star striker Sam Kerr sidelined, Australia's attack lacked its usual spark. Midway through the first half, just over, it is still scoreless here. It was a different story after half time, with Hayley Razo brought down inside the penalty box. Captain Steph Catley stepped up to take the kick. Left foot strikes into the keeper the wrong way and sends Australia into the lead. The bench into the Raptors. 
and the stadium into joy as well. 1-0 down, Ireland kept pushing. Into the box, it's headed in towards the back post. Caitlin Ford got ahead to that one, just a chance to equalise in the 90th minute, missed by centimetres. Right for strike just over the bar, it clips the roof of the net, and there's appeals here as well. And despite some nervous final moments, the night belonged to the Matildas. And a sigh of relief is felt around this stadium here. For Australian supporters like Canberra resident Riley, it was a performance to remember. Oh, it was insane with the atmosphere as well. Are you serious? That's insane. So, like, overwhelming. It was just like, you could feel it from the outside. It was awesome. Insane's a good word. Matilda's fan Riley ending that report from Matt Bamford. And that game directly followed New Zealand's historic 1-0 win over Norway to secure the country's first ever World Cup win. Well, Papua New Guinea's plan to join Australia's top rugby league competition, the NRL, took another step forward this week with Australia pledging $5.5 million to the cause. The funds were committed by Australian Minister for the Pacific, Pat Conroy, at a corporate dinner on Wednesday in Port Moresby and will be put towards a new rugby league youth academy. Meanwhile, across the country, PNG's Lay Biscuit Company commenced a new partnership with NRL club, the Cronulla Sharks. It comes after the company withdrew its sponsorship dollars from Premier Soccer Club, Lay City FC. And it didn't take long for the new deal to come into effect either, with Lay Biscuit Company chief Ian Chow telling me his company logo featured on the uniform of the Sharks as recently as last weekend. Well, at the moment, it's only till the end of the season, but I believe uh, they were talking about renewing it. Yeah, so if I renew it on the full uh, year, full season, that would cost like a fair bit, but uh, I guess the compensation would be, uh, I, I did drop the soccer team, so that's enough to cover it. Now, obviously, there, there is some some visual benefits of this. You just mentioned the logo was on the, was on the Cronulla Sharks uniform last weekend against Auckland. My management wasn't that keen for me to do it because we don't have any products in Australia, but we do have products in Pacific. So that's sort of uh, all the Pacific country watches NRL too. So it's more for, uh, you know, long-term marketing anyway. For us, we didn't have anything to advertise because we're not selling anything. And what what was it like just seeing a you know a, a well known PNG company um, you know on the shorts of a of a really well known NRL team? I imagine it would have been a, a big thrill for everyone. You know, I, I got so many messages, and you can see on the Facebook uh, a lot of Facebook comments. You know, people were really proud that uh, we got on because people didn't feel the same with Trukai because Trukai was never Trukai was a big company, but they were Australia company. Whereas Lay Biscuit, we we are local company. We we support so many sporting bodies in Papua New Guinea, but we're very famous for uh, our our uh, Lay Snack Tigers and Lay City football club, you know, so Lay City Football Club, well, uh, I've taken a step out this year and, and people are uh, very, very happy, you know, they just feel that a true, a true Papua New Guinea company has taken, you know, taken Papua New Guinea to, to the international level. Yeah, so you're obviously the chief executive of the Lay Biscuit Company, but you're also the owner of the Digicel Cup team, the, the Lay Snacks Tigers. What kind of benefits um, will this sponsorship deal have, not just for the Tigers, but for, for the Digicel Cup in general? Uh, I understand there'll be some, some pathway benefits. Is that right? The junior one was the one mainly I was looking at because at the moment there's no junior pathways for Papua New Guinea anywhere. Uh, the only place is 
when they go to school in Australia and they get noticed there. So in the past, like 20 years ago, they used to have intercity competitions for juniors and Papua New Guinea used to play Australia, you know, when it was funded by Australia. And, and Papua New Guinea teams used to beat the Australia teams at the junior level. But senior level, we, we have a big hole there, you know, from junior to senior level. So uh, I think uh, PNG RFL need to address that. And before we go today, uh, Ian, I just did want to quickly touch on there was a gala dinner obviously held in Port Moresby for a chance to, to drum up some sponsorship and some investment opportunities potentially for this uh, overall NRL PNG bid. I mean, you're obviously a, a business leader uh, within PNG. Good news for the country, do you think? If it wasn't for the Australian government helping Papua New Guinea, I don't think Papua New Guinea will have a chance at getting into uh, NRL. And that's a fact, you know, because to, to run a NRL team annually would cost you between $30, $40 million. And, you know, as, as I earlier said, morally, I wouldn't feel it's correct for Papua New Guinea to put that kind of money into a team when we have so many issues at home. But, you know, it's good for national pride. Uh, it's very good for uh, Papua New Guinea exposure. So uh, I support it. But thinking about what's happening at home, you know, like with uh, education, medi- uh, me- medicals, you know, that, that kind of stuff is we're still way behind. Lay Biscuit Company Chief Ian Chow speaking to me there. And speaking of rugby league, the PNG Hunters can put their feet up this weekend. It's a competition-wide buy and they'll return to the field next weekend. Well, you might remember Pacific weightlifter Eileen Thikamatana captured hearts around the world when she made history at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham last year. Her gold medal lift in the 87 kilo category made her the first woman to win Commonwealth Games gold for two different countries, having won for Fiji in 2018 before switching her allegiance to Australia for 2022. With the next Commonwealth Games set to return to Australia in 2026, she was very much looking forward to competing for a third straight medal in front of friends and family. That was until the Victorian government this week decided to cancel plans to host the Games due to cost, leaving athletes such as Eileen uncertain about where they'll be competing. Well, as an athlete, I felt very disappointed. You know, I was looking forward to compete for my third gold medal at the Commonwealth Games, and uh, I was hoping that, like, I was looking forward to have it at the CT ground, as I have a lot of friends, and it's closer to home where I could bring my parents over and just, like, watch me compete for my third Third Commonwealth Games, yeah. Yeah, it, it came as a shock to everyone. And one of the things about this is, is we're seeing, you know, athletes absorb this in real time. Had you guys been warned ahead of time or did you find out the same time as everyone else? I found out the same time as everyone else. It was when we were coming to train and it was on the radio. We didn't receive any article before then. And it was like, what's happening? How, how did this happen all of a sudden? Yeah, so it was a real shock. It was a long time per goal, as it because of the 2024 Olympics next year, and then we've got another major event to to focus on after the Olympics. So, yeah, we were all looking forward to these uh, Victorian Commonwealth Games, and now they pulled out, and it's pretty disappointing to us as as athletes. They initially announced that they were, they'd be hosting uh, the Commonwealth Games in regional Victoria about 18 months ago, which is, you know, that's a long time to have it set in and really embed itself in people's minds. Does this now change preparations for you from a logistical standpoint? Well, the preparation will stay the same as in, about the Commonwealth Games, I mean, since 2026. So we hope that another country will be able to host the Commonwealth Games. But other than that, it's 
all we need is to prepare ourselves for what is there in the future. Now, this hits very close to you in particular, given you live uh, you live in Melbourne on the Mornington Peninsula, which is actually a long way out of Melbourne. It's not that far from regional Victoria and some of those centres like Gippsland and Shepparton, which were set to host some events. So this would have been, you know, very much in your backyard. Was it extra disappointing on that front? Yes, it, it was disappointing because the weightlifting event was given to Geelong as they were happy to host weightlifting and other sport. Yeah, so we were all looking forward to that, trying uh, traveling down to Geelong and compete at the Commonwealth Games there back in, in 2026. Yeah, and you mentioned you've obviously, you know, friends and family, parents could have come and watched you compete. I know you've got some Fiji heritage. I imagine Australia is probably a lot easier for them to get to than, than a place like Birmingham or, or somewhere in Europe or England. Yes, it is um, easier for the families to come from Fiji because there's a direct flight from Fiji to Melbourne and they could just take a bus and go down to Geelong or even take a ferry down. Were your parents able to come watch you in Birmingham or did they have to watch on TV? No, because there was a lot of uh, COVID restrictions and it was Mm. a long travel to Birmingham. So I, I asked them just to stay home and watch through television. I was happy to bring that down, but then COVID happened and then I just changed my mind and asked them, I'll meet you in Australia after the Com game. So they were here with me when I returned from Birmingham. They might have to do the same this time around, I guess, if it's going to be held, you know, potentially in Europe again. And I wanted to talk about that now, you know, now that obviously it's not going to be held in regional Victoria. Where, where would you like to see the Games held? Would you like it to remain in Australia or would you like one of the other Commonwealth countries to, to host it somewhere outside of Australia or England, perhaps? Well, at the moment, all I, I do is prepare myself for what outcome is there. So uh, whatever countries is happy to host the Commonwealth Games, I'm happy to, to go with any other any country that takes this, the Games as long as uh, we, the Commonwealth athletes, have a chance to compete at the 2026 Commonwealth Games. Now, we've got some obviously big things coming up on the horizon for yourself. Uh, we've got the Pacific Games in November, but before that, you've got the World Championships coming up in September. So I imagine this is a pretty pretty big time for you. Yes, yeah, I've got a very, very busy schedule and very intense training program. So we're preparing for the World Championship, which is the most important one, because it'll be my first appearance as an 81-12 for the Olympics. And then I've got the South Pacific Games in November and probably the World Cup in December in Qatar. And then we've got the Ocean Year Championships in Auckland and then another World Cup in Thailand earlier next year before the final I mean, it's the final uh, qualifying event for the Olympics before the selection for the team. And will the World Championships and the Pacific Games, will they serve as qualifying events for the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games? For the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games has got the different qualifying events and standards. And just regarding your, your chances of, uh, of Paris, is that very much on the radar for you? That's why we are all chasing, but we can't predict the future, but all we, we can is to be the best and to be the best we can be and um, rank at the top and qualify for the Olympic Games, yeah. Weightlifter Eileen Thicker-Matana speaking to me there. And speaking of the sport, it wasn't all bad news this week. Samoa's Don Opelengi went on a record-smashing spree at the Commonwealth Championships last weekend in India. He broke three Commonwealth records en route to a gold medal in the 102-kilo weight class. The women of league are right here. The skill. Harley is over to score. That was slick. The power. Power stepping. Beats one player. Beats two players. Still palming away. Power. The magic. Game, what a try that is. The 
Upton runs the football, makes the break, flips the tackle, goes all the way to the corner herself and slams it down. The 2023 Women's NRL Premiership on ABC Radio Australia. She goes herself and scores. Your home of rugby league in the Pacific. To netball now, where the Tongatala have wrapped up training camp in New Zealand ahead of next week's World Cup in South Africa. The side will depart for Cape Town for Cape Town in the coming days in what will be their first appearance at the event since 1999. Much has changed since then, obviously, and they'll have some big names leading them into this tournament, including former Diamond Munia Gerard and former Silver Fern Kat Tuiviti. Captain Hulita Veve is another who boasts high-level experience, having been a championship player with the Queensland Firebirds in Australia's Super Netball competition. She sat down with the ABC's Aggie Tupo this week. So the training camp was good. We spent the week in Cambridge over in New Zealand last week, and it was the first time that we had our whole new team together. So it was really great for us to just spend the week together on and off the court, just really building those connections. And we had a big week of training and had lots of match play against ourselves. And then we got a match play against the New Zealand team, which was pretty cool and good to finish off the week. Good to really spend time with each other in the lead up to the World Cup. Currently, you guys are sort of sitting seventh in the world rankings. What does this sort of mean to you and I suppose the future of Netball for Tonga? To fast forward to now where we're seventh in the world is just huge for us and something that we didn't really expect, but we are so proud of. And for Tonga, I think, yeah, it was just huge. And the timing of it all, whilst Tonga was going through a lot, was just really special for us to be able to give hope, not just to netballers, but to our Tongan people in general. We really want to just continue to push forward. With the team's track record, I know you're in the same pool as Australia's Diamonds uh, for the World Cup alongside Fiji and Zimbabwe. I mean, Julita, how confident are you of your team really sort of making that knockout stage? We've got a great group of girls and a great mix of talent. You know, we've got we've got young guns who are fresh and just give everything they have. And then we've got more older, experienced players who give so much knowledge to this team. So ultimately, together, we make a good team off the court and we're gelling together really well. But for us, you know, we aren't getting too far ahead of ourselves. We, we aren't looking at the knockout stage just yet because we're just focusing on on the pool that we've got and we'll take it game by game as we're just trying to remain calm and composed and take it day by day and soak it all in and just really looking forward to it. Uh, How are you feeling about playing against Australia? (laughs) Yeah, it's cool because I've played with lots of those girls before. You know, the Australian way of netball is the way that I've been brought up to play. So I think we can use it to our our advantage because we've got special talent and we've got a good group of girls that we've been through a lot the past years. Just really looking forward to the challenge against Australia and just the opportunity to play them. Can I ask how you're feeling yourself though physically, like how uh, mentally for, for this upcoming game? Yeah, mentally uh, I'm ready. I think we've had a year to prepare for it since we've qualified in Fiji. So yeah, mentally prepared for it. Once we get there, kind of shock us that we're actually playing them. You know, they're the best country in the world at the moment, but we're definitely ready for the challenge. And I mean, what's that journey been like to have to represent who you are as a Tongan uh, with the Tongan Tala team? Yeah, I think ever since playing for my country, it's been really special because you know, growing up, I didn't have much to do with my culture because, you know, we didn't have much of our Tongan family here in Brisbane. So to be able to connect with my culture through netball, the sport that I love was, you know, it's been such a blessing for me. And, you know, ever since dad passed away a few years ago, that's been really tough for me to be able to connect with my culture. So yeah, to be able to do it through netball has been just huge for me and 
it's probably been the biggest achievement you know, of my career to represent my country and to um, captain the side as well. And it's a it's a big honour. For any other Australian or Kiwi who, you know, like you say, you weren't able to reconnect with your Tongan side, but to encourage them to embrace their culture. And also, how would you encourage those, the next generation coming up who want to like be in the same space as you? Yeah, I think it's really great that we are where we are at the moment. I think, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. So for us to be on the world stage and have our country's name out there for the little Tonga girls and boys to see, that's huge for us and helping the next, you know, generation to create dreams for themselves to be a dollar one day. A big thing for our team that we quite often speak about is to inspire our future generation, not just netballers, but like our Tongan people in general. And I think we've done that so far. We just want to continue to inspire our country and remind them that anything is possible. Like at the start of last year, we were unranked and now we're seventh. So I think that's a story in itself. We really hope it gives them hope and and faith that, you know, anything is possible, even for us Tongans. You know, we are small, but we are mighty. And we hope that just carries on with all of our Tongan people, whether you play netball or not. Small but mighty, Tongatala captain Halita Veve speaking with the ABC's Aggie Tupo. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. We'll be back at the same time Monday. That's 6 a.m. PNG time. You can also hear us at 3 p.m. PNG time. Stay tuned on ABC Radio Australia because the news is next, followed by Nisha Daly. Good luck to all the Pacific teams playing this weekend. I'm Kyle Evans. Have a fantastic weekend.